This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, November 13th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, stabbing suspect arrested. County planning talks zoning. A new home for the Norwood Food Pantry. And a mountain weather forecast. A man is in custody after a stabbing incident in Telluride on Friday. Our officers got called to the 100 block of East Colorado around 6.45 p.m. for a um, subject that had been stabbed. Um, Medics were also paged out at the same time. That's Telluride Chief Marshal Josh Compt. Um, Our officers got on scene first and and began providing life-saving treatment to the individual. Um, He was later transported to Montrose Regional um, Hospital and The suspect, a short time after that, contacted our dispatch and uh, turned himself in and was taken into custody without incident. According to the San Miguel County Jail, Shaquille Berthier was arrested for assault with a knife. Chief Compt adds the incident does not appear to be a random act of violence. It appears that our victim and the suspect both knew each other and had a prior history. Um, So it is an ongoing investigation, so we are still looking through things to kind of figure out what the motive may have been. Um, But again, it does appear that they knew each other. While the stabbing follows an armed lockdown earlier this fall, Compt assures Telluride is still a safe community. First and foremost, I want to assure everyone that Telluride is still like an extremely safe place to live. I mean, these these incidents that we're having, although common in other larger cities, um, are definitely the outliers here in our town, luckily. Um, You know, in both instances, I've been very, very proud of the response that our departments had. So it, it is a very safe community still. There are, you know, there are incidents that occur. Um, you know, the last couple have been more public than, than other incidents, but um, it is still a very safe, safe community. Anyone with additional comment or information regarding the incident is encouraged to contact dispatch at 970-249-9110. Tips can remain anonymous. If you like to see the government sausage get made, it was a good idea to tune into the County Planning and Zoning Commission last week as committee members held their latest session on the East End Master Plan update. Since the 90% draft plan was released in late September, discussion has been extensive. And County Planning Director Kay Simonson says much of the concern focuses on something called the Community Housing Zone District. You know, we've heard the public loud and clear that we need to talk about the community housing. And, uh, you know, that's not a discussion for this master plan that we need to have all of our stakeholders involved. Um, You know, there are others that have an interest and we want the Board of County Commissioners to be in on that as well. The CH Zone District is relatively new, introduced roughly two years ago by county commissioners in order to ease the process of developing affordable housing. The Zone District can be applied by a developer anywhere in the county, regardless of historic or neighboring uses at the site, and it can host a density as high as 20 units per acre. Developers still have to go through the application process, of course, and the project must be deemed suitable by the Planning Commission despite Simonson urging to hold off on discussing the CH Zone District, conversation turned in that direction. Commission Chair Lee Taylor comes forward, he says, with two changes for us to consider. Both changes relate to how the CH Zone District is used in the East End Master Plan. One is to remove the CH potential use designation from 
the uh, residential load uh, future loose future use area altogether. Then sparsely settled areas of the county, such as the mesas above Telluride, could no longer be considered for community housing. Taylor's other suggestion? I'd like to put out the idea that we would limit the density uh, of the CH applications in the medium, residential medium, to a maximum of 10 units. Essentially, this would reduce the potential density of a housing project in a large swath of the county's east end. Councilmember Jocelyn Lifton-Zolin says she takes issue with barring the zone district from sparsely populated areas. A CH designation could be used for a higher density development, but it's also suitable for adding a little studio apartment above a garage or in a converted barn. Lifton Zolin says she doesn't want to kill those small-scale projects. If in 10 years, the people living, just as an example, in the West Meadows decided that they wanted to be able to build one or two units or, you know, it isn't necessarily going to be these huge things, but we've taken away that possibility for a little bit of thoughtful filling in. Commission member Tobin Brown adds he feels the whole wording of the zoning district needs to be rewritten with more sensitive language and a holistic approach. I'd like to get away from a number that someone's entitled to right out of the gate. I think it's all subject to the entire plan, and I don't know why we have to have a number there. This fall, the East End planning process has opened up a sometimes contentious conversation about affordable housing, where it should go, and how much growth the area should plan for. County Attorney Amy Markwell joined the meeting to remind listeners and commissioners that they're required by the state of Colorado, which passed a statute in 2021, to plan for certain types of growth. Remember, you are required to, when you're doing these things, to look at how to increase the overall number and density of housing units or to promote or create incentives to the construction of affordable housing units. Commission member Brown recognizes the long road which has brought them to this conversation about the Community Housing Zone District. Even if adjusting the zone district is a separate process from the master plan, he says. I think these should be parallel efforts. We're talking about the next couple of months. I think they can go along together. And by the end of January or into February, we could have sort of an elegant resolution to all of the above. The planning commission will again take up community housing in January, but the conversation will surely continue in the interim. For 13 years, the Norwood Food Pantry was run out of the Christ in Focus Church on Spruce Street, just south of town. Twice a week for all those years, the pantry's organizer, Michelle Blunt, would open the doors for distribution day and serve dozens of households. Then, late this summer, rapid transitions cast the pantry's immediate future in doubt. Layla Serafin, a founder of the Fresh Food Hub in Norwood, recalls the final pantry at the church was held in late August. And then, she says, the pantry had to go more or less mobile, distributing right on Main Street. The transition basically happened over September. We were, with uh, Food Bank of the Rockies' help, we were able to do pop-up distributions at Town Hall in Norwood, um, where a lot of the food was pre-packed and then people would roll by. 
and get a box of food. And so we did that all through September. In those first weeks, the pantry was kept afloat by a working group, including San Miguel County, the town of Norwood, the Angel Baskets Pantry in Telluride, the Rocky Mountain Food Pantry, the Telluride Foundation, and others. A lot of the groups put in emergency funding because uh, there wasn't a lot that was passed on to us. So we had to basically kind of redesign a, a budget and figure out how to sustain, you know, the bare minimum. Amidst finding cash, food, and staff to keep the pantry going, the group searched for a new home, eventually finding one in a side room of the Norwood High School, where Superintendent Todd Bittner welcomed the group. Through the transition, it became clear the Fresh Food Hub, which has promoted local food access and education in Norwood since 2015, was best suited to take on the pantry's management long-term. Seraphin feels the pantry will come back in full force. I think the benefit of us being directly in charge of the food pantry is that we're, we're designing some more, you know, educational components and um, trying to get more local fresh food in there slowly but surely. And then we have all these amazing uh, partnerships now through the chaos of the old location closing. Um, We sort of tied in, you know, Angel Baskets is a huge supporter. Um, They contribute monthly. Through September, the pantry continued to serve some 50 households every week. In the working group, says Seraphin. We knew the need was high. The need hasn't gone down and we did not close one day during the transition. Michelle had our last service, and we made sure the following week we were outside of um, Town Hall making it happen. It's been a lot, (laughs) a lot of work and uh, logistics. So all of the collaborative uh, work has been super, super helpful, and um, I just want to emphasize that a lot. The transition at the food pantry is still in many ways ongoing. But as the dust settles, Seraphin is confident it will be open at the high school every Friday for anyone in need. Information about donating, volunteering, or accessing food can now be found on freshfoodhub.net. Lizard Head Pass will be closed for a portion of the day on Tuesday. The Colorado Department of Transportation will be performing helicopter operations in the area in preparation of the oncoming winter season. Highway 145 will be closed from mile marker 49, two miles north of Rico, to mile marker 61 near Trout Lake. The closure will run from noon to 3 p.m. on Tuesday, November 14th. Drivers should expect 30-minute intermittent delays. The Western Mega Drought is getting some attention from an unexpected music icon. KUNC's Alex Hager reports one British rock star teamed up with federal officials to promote work on Colorado River issues. With a rebel yell, he cried, conserve water. In a video from the Bureau of Reclamation, a denim-clad Billy Idol appears between government officials. He shares a message about the need for the public to help use less water from the shrinking Colorado River. Across the country, the impact of the drought crisis is undeniable. I saw it myself during my recent visit to Hoover Dam. The White Wedding singer recently became the first to play a gig at the dam back in April with the nation's largest reservoir as his backdrop. The clock is ticking for states to come up with new rules for managing the river before 2026. Federal officials hope the deadline will bring a nice day to start again. I'm Alex Hager.
At last, the only town in the most remote county of the lower 48 states is getting high-speed fiber internet. Work is underway to connect the tiny city of Lake City in southwest Colorado. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KVNF's Laura Palmasano reports on the local, regional, and state partnership that made it happen. To get fiber optic cable from Gunnison to Lake City over rough mountain terrain would cost a lot of money. Money tiny Hinsdale County doesn't have. However, it turns out fiber was already in place. Hinsdale County Commissioner Greg Levine says it's been here for decades. It was installed by CenturyLink years and years ago. And so the fiber was brought to the town, to the CenturyLink building, but CenturyLink never built out beyond that. He says the remote county isn't a profitable investment for the telecommunications giant. CenturyLink doesn't see us as a viable market in which to provide that service to. We are a poor market. We're not attractive. You know, less than 800 residents in the county Region 10, an association of local governments, serves six counties on the western slope, including Hinsdale. The organization is working on a regional effort to improve broadband infrastructure. So far, it's been able to do so in 14 communities like Delta, Montrose, Gunnison, and Telluride. Michelle Haynes is the executive director of the organization. She says businesses in rural communities face operational challenges without high-speed internet. However, it was during COVID that the broader community impact really came to light. You know, your kids can't go home from school and do their work from home if there isn't adequate broadband and we can't do telemedicine and, and you can't even work remotely if there's not adequate broadband. Haynes says the goal is to connect communities to this regional network. And set up a meet-me point or carrier-neutral location that go by different terms, but a place where we can bring that line into the community and work with private providers to be able to take that service out to the homes and the businesses. Region 10 is helping Hensdale County with its Middle Mile project. That means extending the Internet backbone so it connects Internet service providers to end users. The organization secured agreements to connect Lake City to its network in Gunnison and connect fiber to anchor institutions such as the school, courthouse, and medical center. It was awarded a $300,000 Energy and Mineral Impact Assistance Grant from the Colorado Department of Local Affairs for the project. Haynes says the state recognizes that former mining towns like Lake City need help with infrastructure projects. They've taken some of the energy mineral impact funds and recognizing that these communities are often no longer mining for coal or or mining in general or, you know, have power plants, um, which was a big source of income before. So they've taken some funding from that fund to invest into these middle mile projects. The grant requires a 50-50 match. Hinsdale County and the town of Lake City each put up $100,000 of American Recovery Act funds towards the project. The Gunnison County Electric Association also ponied up $100,000, knowing it could get fiber to the substation in town. Work is underway in Lake City to complete the middle mile. Visionary Broadband is installing fiber optic cable over power lines or underground. Dave Roberts is the town mayor. High-speed internet has been something that's been lacking for many years. It's been frustrating for the local residents. No reliability. Residents complain about internet connectivity, speed, and affordability. So Roberts is happy to see progress towards better broadband in Lake City. It's something that's been needed for a long time. It's still not in place, but we're looking forward to it. And I think it'll play a 
a big role in the future of our town. However, not everyone in Hinsdale County will have access to high-speed fiber internet. Again, Commissioner Greg Levine. Initial build-out is limited to what I would call the boundaries of the town. It goes through Wade's Edition, goes to the water tower, and then as far north as Roden Bridge. But it does not cover all the residents by long shot. We, we have hundreds of people that are still needing those services. He says after the Middle Mile project is finished, the county plans to go after additional funding to continue broadband expansion. Hinsdale County is hoping to get another slice of the more than $1.2 billion in federal funds the state received to improve high-speed internet access. Commissioner Levine says adequate broadband is an essential service. Broadband internet is now a utility, just like electric, and so it becomes kind of like a right for people. They need it. The Middle Mile project is set to wrap up this fall. Once complete, high-speed fiber internet will soon become available for a majority of residents and businesses in town. Reporting from Lake City, I'm Laura Palmisano. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 30 degrees. Tuesday should be mostly sunny during the day and mostly clear at night. The high is around 50 with a low around 30. Wednesday, expect partly sunny skies with a high in the mid-50s. Wednesday night should be mostly cloudy with a 20% chance of rain and snow showers. The low is around 35 degrees. This has been the news for Monday, November 13th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.